takes a while for the plant to grow In my mind there's a place I know Cause I've seen in your dreams the way my free and ever-changing Welcome to another episode of Religionless Church. I'm your nonsensical and wayward theologian and Religionless Church host, Mason Meniga. In this episode, I talk with Danielle Lynch. Danielle is the director of Mission at St. Augustine College. She is also the author of God and Sound and Silence, Music as Theology. Also musically featured throughout this episode is Maeve Heaney. Maeve is a theologian and musician from Ireland. You can get connected with both Danielle and Maeve and their work in the links in the episode description. In the links in the description, you will also find my website, masonmeninga.com, where you can find more of my work, including some articles and papers I write, other religionless church episodes, and ways to connect with me via social media. If religionless church matters to you, there are two ways you can support. First, give the podcast a rating and a review. This not only offers thoughts and evaluations to others considering listening to the podcast, but it also informs me upon what to improve with the podcast. The second way to support is become a patron of my Patreon page. Patreon is a service where supporters financially support creators. With currently three different tiers varying from $1 to $10 a month, you receive respective rewards for supporting my work. Rewards include papers I write, upcoming Religionless Church episode previews, lectures I create, and much more. The links to connect to and support me and my work, including my Patreon page, are all in the episode description. I no longer wish to be your object cause of desire, as I, with my begging rambling, prevent you from your object of desire of this awaiting episode. Therefore, here it is, Religionless Church. Time is flowing, time will tell the time is on your side. So if you wait for me, I'll wait for So today we have Danielle Lynch, and Danielle is hailing from, you live in Queensland, Australia, right? Yeah, I do. I'm from the UK originally, but I live in Cairns. Well, wonderful. So Danielle is a musician and a theologian, and where do you teach at currently? I teach at St. Augustine's College. Wonderful. So uh, you have a, a few different roles in the world. You do a few different things, and um, I'm sure there's a lot more to Danielle than uh, even just beyond teaching and, and doing music. Um, but I'm curious, and this is one of the questions I didn't send you, so this is going to be spontaneous, but that's okay. You're going to love it anyway. Uh, but who is Danielle Lynch to Danielle Lynch? That's a good question that I think could change depending on which day you ask me that <laughs> question. Um, I think Danielle Lynch is someone who has more questions than answers. Someone who, I guess, is interested in the why behind everything. And I guess in some ways that 
that's describing what you might otherwise call a theologian in some <laughs> contexts. So that's kind of a, a primary part of, of who Danielle Lynch is. But as you kind of hinted towards before, there's other aspects to that. So a musician, obviously. So I was fortunate enough to have lots of different musical opportunities growing mm -hmm. up. And my, my grandparents loved musicals. I can't tell you how many times I watched The Sound of Music with my grandma <laughs> when I was tiny. And I guess music became just a, a kind of everyday part of my life. And I was given the opportunity to learn some instruments when I was in primary school, like trumpet, and then later on in secondary school, guitar and piano. Okay. And so being a musician, um, I guess, is something that's always been with me. and that takes on obviously many different roles. So from, from just playing in different bands around town to being involved in liturgical music in school and in the, the community. So a musician, so theologian, musician, teacher, I guess it's the job really that I moved out to Australia for. Okay. Um, I, I, it's I not became... all the venomous creatures that lurk beneath your feet? <laughs> well, you know, that's pretty tempting with all the you know, poisonous snakes. <laughs> I just did a first aid course here yesterday and you know you're pretty unlucky if you're going to get bitten by something like that but no that, that obviously um the the opportunity to to teach in a Maris Brothers school out here in Australia was a big draw card for me and um I being a teacher I trained to teach religious studies because I think it's important that that students have the opportunity to critically engage with with beliefs and with value systems and to not take anything for granted and to not just be content with their own assumptions or the assumptions that they, they've been, you know, enculturated into either through their society, through their family. So it was really important for me to try and make students, I guess, think for themselves from a, a basis of knowledge rather than from, from a basis of assumption or guesswork. So that's why I became a teacher. and. And I've been really fortunate to have taught in some really good Catholic and state schools. Mm. So, yeah, I guess that there's, there's lots of other elements to, <laughs> to who I am, but that's probably enough for the minute. Well, it's great. Thank you so much. Uh, one of the other elements to you is you just recently released a wonderful book called God and Sound and Silence, Music as Theology. And I really enjoyed reading it. It was uh, as a person who obviously thinks about things uh, theologically. I'm in seminary, and obviously that's a very important part of my life. But I'm also deeply entrenched in music, not necessarily classical music or any sort of orchestras or even um, opera, but uh, I, I really am deeply entrenched into all sorts of different types of pop music. Um, and so let's talk about the book. What inspired you to write God in Sound and Music, or Sound and Silence, Music as Theology? Well, it came out of a, a project that became my PhD when I had an inclination, I guess, that the, the meaning of music really needs to be explored in theology. Mm. And the, there are some people who have worked in the area, but mostly a lot of the works come from a kind of theological aesthetics a very abstract sort of framework. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to move a little bit more towards thinking about experience of music and what it does for people, for communities, and for their faith life. 
And so the book is a, is a kind of small step in that direction to try and think about the embodied encounter with music. And so the book really came out of my PhD, which was a, a, a look at um, approaches to theology, uh, sorry, approaches to music in contemporary theology. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the kind of starting point. And then I, I went off to have a look at some different areas of classical music because really that's where I was at the time. But what I really, what's been niggling along the back the whole time is, is the whole popular music thing. That's, I guess we probably talk more about it as we yeah. go, but it's something that's always been in the background as well. But it's not, it's not yet in, in any sort of written form in the book. Hmm. What did you learn about yourself while writing it? Uh, I guess um, perseverance is, is a big thing when you, you're going through the, the process of writing. Um, I guess the process taught me that, that to think more openly and have an open mind. Every, everyone has a different perspective. So every person I talked to had a different experience of music and how it relates to their faith or their belief system. And so I guess what it taught me was to stay open-minded to what music can do for people and not to make assumptions on that and not to assume that my experience or the experience of those who've already written about music and theology can speak for everyone. Mm-hmm. How has classical music and pop music, uh, obviously pop music referring to contemporary music such as you know rock and hip-hop and pop and et cetera, et cetera, how has classical music and pop music contributed to theology differently? I'm not sure that there's really a kind of, you could say there's a, a hard and fast distinction between what's different between them. And I guess going back to what I was sort of alluding to, everyone has a different experience of classical and pop music. Mm-hmm. And so in, in that sense, I think it's kind of context-based as well. But I think we have to remember that classical music was the popular music of its time. And that it, it so for, for example, you know, uh, J.S. Bach, was writing, thinking, you know, he's writing to meet a need for the community, for the time, not thinking that later on that music would be kept. It was just to meet a need in the moment. And so it was only really, I think, well, there's whole legends about when Mendelssohn revived Bach's music much later on, that it became popular in in the classical sort of legendary kind of sense. Mm. So I think certainly the classical composers wouldn't necessarily have have thought their music would be so long-lasting or legendary. And I think you see a little bit of that with bands like Queen and the Beatles. Mm. They sort of they have their moment in time, and then it's not until later on that they're reevaluated in the context of a new time that they become to take on a more significant status as, as long-lasting, long-lived works of art. And so I think that what, what is of value is something that is only determined in a much longer period. And, you know, you could think of today and all the music that we've got out there and we have so much music and we have all these different channels. People can just record for themselves, put it on YouTube, whatever. We've got all the music out there available to us. And I wonder what it is that's going to remain of value from the present moment Mm. in Mm -hmm. 50 years, 100 years time. What are people going to be talking about from the, you know, the start of the 21st century?
How does music enter one into a physical and spiritual space? You kind of talk about this um, early on in your book. Yeah, I think it, I mean, music impacts on your physical body. So in that sense, it, it can make you aware of where you are and the context that you're in, the place you're in, the physical place that you're in. And it can make you aware of what it actually does to your body in terms of if you can physically feel it or if you are feeling particular emotions or feelings caused by the music. It can, it can have a, a heightened awareness of the physical space around you. And I think also it can put you in communication with your deeper self. So it might bring out something that perhaps you haven't been able to access in another way or you haven't emotionally put a name to or that, that you haven't been able to put into words. And in that sense, in, in communing with yourself, I believe that you would be in communication with God. And I think that's, that's the place where you can find God when you go deeper into yourself into the mystery of who you are. And I guess that's, that's an encounter with the mystery that we might call God. Hmm. How does musical form, especially that of classical music, relate to the incarnation? You also spend a little bit of time in your book talking about this. It really was intriguing to me. Yeah, the, the idea of form, I guess, comes from the, the big push from theologians to think about aesthetics and what form has to do with beauty and if you ever get a perfect form. And I kind of took a springboard from Hansus von Balthasar's theology, where the Christ form for him is the ultimate form of beauty, transcendental beauty. Mm -hmm. And so I was then trying to think about whether that could ever exist in music as there's always a subjective element to what is beautiful in music. Mm -hmm. And I, I never, I, I think you can never really get to a stage where you have a perfect form in music because I think music is beautiful really when you break the rules. And I think the classical composers showed us that. So, you know, you, you learn a form in order to break the rules of the form so that it's, it's intriguing and it's clever when you go, Ah, oh, that's an interesting way that he's twisted that form or that she's taken off in a different direction to what I was expecting. So I think in terms of form, the unexpected and surprises are, are where you find moments of, I guess you might call enlightenment, the kind of aha moments, mm. like, where are we going? And so I, I was trying to play out that idea of what a musical form that most resembled the Christ form might look like. And I think I, I've come to the conclusion much later on that I don't think there is a form that <laughs> that, that could actually take. And uh, obviously all, all worldly life that we have can only ever hope to vaguely replicate something that must be, you know, beyond all of our wildest thoughts. I'm sure if you talk to a Radiohead fan, I'm, I'm almost positive they know exactly <laughs> what kind of form would be the yeah, perfect well, musical form. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you know those Radiohead fans, they, they, Radiohead is their ultimate concern of sorts. Um, I'm partial to a bit of Radiohead myself. I, I certainly am as well. I, I, wouldn't wanna, I don't want to put myself in the camp of the Radiohead fans that exist. <laughs> Uh, but I do like me some Radiohead. Uh, you, you talk about the Romantic area, or the Romantic era, 
placing an emphasis on feelings in music. How does theology pick up on this same emphasis? I think it probably is an area that is something we could develop much more in theology. And I think especially, dare I say it, a lot of Catholic thought has been more to do with more objective things. You know, we can Mm -hmm. pin our hats on doctrine and teachings. And really, I think we might perhaps have been a little too cautious of looking at people's individual experiences and personal encounters and, and personal relationships with what they understand to be God. And I think theology can really tap into that in whatever way that that might take. And I think, you know, the, the Catholic Church is in, is in great need of renewal mm. around the world. And in Australia, I think that's been acknowledged by a plenary council, which is, is in preparation and will happen in 2020. And I think the, the process of that is, is the church is asking the people around the country for their ideas about what God is asking of us in Australia today. But as part of that process and part of the dialogue process is to take people's own experiences. And I've been a part of a few of these different sessions of listening and dialogue. And I think it's, it's a process that we're only just scratching the surface of because people have a lot to say about their feelings to do with their faith and their, their beliefs and the way that the institutionalized church has been acting in the world. And I think we're, we're getting to the stage where really people and the- theologians are acknowledging that we need to take into account the individual experience, the individual feelings. Mm. So I think music is one of the areas where we can, we can really draw on that. So, uh, for example, one thing I did for a conference that was kind of all around the topic of the Plenary Council was I wrote a song about my experience of the church and tried to put something of my own kind of feelings to do with the direction of the church into the song. And I think we could use that. Something, it's a process that I can use with students in school. Mm. They're very keen to write songs, to get involved in music and to engage a wider group of people who perhaps might have said, yep, this, this church thing is not for me anymore. I don't understand what is happening there. I don't understand what's going on. I think if we want people to engage with the church and give a voice and show, them, show the church, I guess, where it's, it's gone wrong in the past and where it can be going in the future, and also where it's gone right in the past, we can, we, music is one way that we can engage people in that process. So I think people often are used to expressing their feelings in music and they might not be as used to expressing their feelings in words. Mm. And I teach at a boys' school and, you know, I I know that boys sometimes can be quite reserved about talking about their feelings. I'm generalizing here, obviously, Mm because I think, you know, girls can be the same too, but just from my experience. But they're very happy to sit down and try and write some lyrics to a song. And that's a bit more personal it taps into something more about who they are and their spiritual journey Mm -hmm. then that's one outlet for them that they would otherwise not have
You suggest that music is silent in its most embodied form, uh, in that the work does not necessarily exist without its listener. So the listener is um, completely needed, um, is necessary um, in the silence of music. What are the ways that apophatic theology and its subsequent mystics relate to this kind of music with the emphasis of silence being the space for or, or giving rise to the potential of the most embodied form? Mm, that's, that's a good question because I guess with the apophatic theologians, I would be quite cautious about putting words to God when really any, any words that we can put to what we name as God really are barely scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. like, you know, talking about God, people get into certain, um, I guess, structures that they, they haven't perhaps thought out linguistically. And like, for example, you, you inherit the tradition of calling God he and the students I teach do that automatically without thinking about it. And when I say, can you change the pronoun in that sentence? And they have a little light bulb moment where they go, yeah, I could. So mm. I guess um, language ties us into certain ways of thinking about God that, you know, music and especially silence in the sense of coming back out of the music might assist us to break some of those um, linguistic restrictions. In terms of the silence, I think when you talk about embodied music, obviously no music exists without someone to hear it, I think. And hmm. when you take a moment of silence in music, it can be a really powerful thing, especially if it's in the middle of a work. And that silence then, when I talked before about people encountering something deeper in the music that moment then can be a special moment of grace perhaps or a moment of of special communication where the person is aware of their bodily existence but also their spiritual selves so they're aware of who they are and the music has brought them to a place that they wouldn't otherwise be in communication with themselves and so the silence then i guess is a, a means by which people can just stop the the ongoing I guess, thought processes or whatever mm. that go on. And whenever I, I go to a concert, I, I sit there and if this is classical music concert, for the first 10 minutes, I've got all these thoughts going around in my head about what I need to do or, you know, the list of things that when I get out of here, I'm going to do this, this, this. And gradually, the, the longer you sit in that, in the music, it dissipates. And then it takes you into a moment where your thoughts, and I guess meditation is something that does a similar sort of thing, where you're content just to let your thoughts be and you're not controlling the direction of who you, you know, all the things that you want to think about in the moment. And then when it goes into silence, then I think that can just be a really powerful moment. So, yeah, I think silence has a great deal to, to offer to the musical experience. It's not the be-all and end-all. I wouldn't want to hang my hat on it and say, you know, silence is the moment of music where you encounter God or something like that. And I think, obviously, we have to take in all the different the circumstances, experience, the listeners, all those things into play. But I think it's an important musical technique that composers often use. And in the book, I'll talk about Takamitsu's Requiem, 
where the, the string sounds emerge out of silence and then they just merge back into sounds. So there's no fixed point there of when the sound starts and when it ends. And, you know, if you try to think about your own life before, but who were you before you were born? Well, we have no memory of that. You don't realize the process by which you emerge into life. And for me, that the Requiem said something about the process of life, about the way you sort of emerge into life, but you can't really tell the point at which the you that is you today really emerges into that life. And it might, I don't know, I haven't been at the other end of the scale, but you know, you never know where the, the point is that you emerge back out of life into something else that you don't know what it is. So I think the silence there is, is a powerful analogy, but also in the musical experience of listening to it, teaches you something about who you are as, as a human being in the world. And in that sense, hopefully then can tell you something about the Christ form or something about the mystery of God. One of the most powerful uses of silence that I've ever experienced in music was a few years ago, I was at a concert by a band, one of my favorite bands of all time, called Explosions in the Sky. And they're a, a post-rock band, so they, they don't have any vocalists, but they, they're all like instrumental with guitars and bass and drum set and kind of that sort of type of music. Um, and they're kind of known for having these really like intricate and um, almost like in a rock form, this sort of symphonic uh, song structure. Uh, so they have these really long songs and there's kind of these uh, massive crescendos and then kind of these really quiet and delicate moments. Um, and in one of their really w fairly well-known songs, and they played this song last at their show, they have this moment where it's really, really quiet, right? There's just a few little delicate strings going on um, and a few different notes going on with their guitar work. And then all of a sudden it just explodes um, into just this cascade of, uh, of the drums just kind of being really loud and the guitar work being really loud. Um, and it carries on like that for a little while. And in those, that moment uh, I experienced at that concert, uh, it, it was almost like this out-of-body experience where I was, as, as this crescendo rised um, and the loudness and the volume of the music, so did my soul, it seemed like. It rose out of out of me and then the most amazing thing and i i would recommend everybody look this up because there's like an npr uh music like not a music video but a live video of this on youtube uh where so it's all this like it's super super loud right and then the last second they just they sh they like click this thing off where like all the sound just off the lights just off everything just went off um and in that moment as soon as that happened my like it almost felt like I just went right back in my body and it was kind of as you have been talking about silence being this really embodied experience it, it immediately brought me back into my body and you just kind of had to sit there for a second like what did I just see like all of a sudden there, there for a while there was this just cascade and loudness of music and then all of a sudden nothing you can't see anything you can't hear anything and it it was just almost eerie to like move right back into your body. Um, and anyway, that was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. It is captured, as I said, on this like NPR kind of live video of it. Um, so I definitely check it out. But uh, yeah, that, that's all to say that I, I really resonate a lot with that piece that you talk about with with silence being such an important moment for 
uh, embodied form to, to enter into oneself. Um, let's kind of talk more personally for yourself. What particular music has contributed to your own theological reflection? Yeah, there's a crazy range of music that I, I, I guess live with and have been brought up with. So everything from Oasis and, you know, mm. British, British bands in, of that era to growing up. And you'll see in the book, I try and start each chapter with a little bit of a kind of a hint towards a, a musical autobiography of the bands that have influenced me. Mm. And I guess that's the only nod towards the popular influences in the book, really. But yeah. there's bands like Muse. And, mm. you know, Muse were a really powerful influence to me when I was growing up and um so a lot of bands that really when I was growing up they became a part of just my friendship group my relationships and bands like Green Day that were you know cover their songs with the band that I was playing with <laughs> um, so I guess you you take on a little bit of all the bands that your your friends your social group were on my my dad was an influence he likes British kind of pop punk the undertones and all those sorts of things right. and like I said you know with my grandma she was more guiding me towards the kind of musical side of things and I guess that's a slight step towards the more classical right. and then obviously once I'd started learning instruments in secondary school I became more kind of classically trained I guess it opens your mind to more of the, the classical world of music that really at the time I didn't have a great deal of knowledge about and so today I, I really I like music from all different areas but baroque music really is is my area of classical music where I would be most content to listen mm. just to be and I guess I don't know in the popular world there's so much out there um I, there's so many good bands and I'm moving into a new context of Australia it's blown my mind because all these Australian bands that I didn't even know existed <laughs> now I, I get to hear about. So like the DMAs and all those sorts of bands, the Rubens. And so I guess for me, music has just always been a, a learning curve. There's always so much more out there that you can go and, I guess, investigate, listen to. And, you know, if, if you don't like the music, it's not so it's not the end of the world. It's it could still be good music, just doesn't speak to you. You move on, you find a different band that you like. So I guess I feel like music is a kind of open world that, you know, I can just go off and explore. And there's nothing, there's no music that I would say I don't like. I just I think all music can be powerful at different times in different contexts for different reasons. And so I guess I hope that answers a little bit of the question about what music that I kind of draw from and that influences me. Days over, but the light still remains. So today we have our music featured artist on the podcast and it is Maeve I'm saying that right Maeve Heaney um and Maeve where do you reside you I mean I there's definitely 
you know Danielle, and I knew she was from the UK, but is like teaching in yeah. Australia, I believe. Uh, are you similar connection points going on there? Yeah, I, I'm based in Brisbane. I teach and work in Brisbane, but I am Irish. Uh, oh, okay. Five years, but I met Danielle in Australia. So, well, it just seems like the whole UK can't keep their people out of out of Australia for some reason. You just like I, settle there. It's like just the. I mean, I I know at some point you kind of sent all of your. I don't know. I I don't know my Australian history super well, but at some point I heard that the the British or some of one of the UK folks sent all of their prisoners to to Australia, yeah. and that's kind of why I, Australia's got this kind of rough red, like kind of just kick it in the high gear kind of personality. Yeah, that would be one of the reasons. Most of the convicts would have been Irish, so that would be my background. Oh, so you're, oh. <laughs> so you're right at uh, home. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Absolutely. And so, of course, uh, so, so kind of speak, here, speaking about this renegade type of uh, personality, uh, you got a little bit of that in your music as well, I, I heard, from the little bit that I was able to listen to. You definitely have a little bit going on there. Um, so, yeah, tell me about how um you with this new album how you kind of thought or or what what was inspiring uh in into the album that you have previously released your your latest album that is not the not the one that we will not we'll just we'll keep nameless and not even mention (laughs) okay okay. but the 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 latest one that you've talked about um how, how do you see that like how was that inspired was there maybe particular books or other musicians or artists or other songs, whatever it is. I mean, what was there? Maybe it was an experience that you had. What was the inspiration behind it? Okay. Thank you. Now the inspiration is it's called break the crystal frame. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is, uh, was born of kind of the experience of, if you want, sometimes we get a sense of faith or a sense of God, but it's as if it's far away. And you know, when you're in a recording studio and you've got the glass between you and you can't hear unless the button's pushed. I mean, I don't know that feeling very well because I'm not a recording artist, but I would imagine that's what it would be for a recording artist. Exactly. It's really (laughs) silent. It's, it's very beautiful, but, but you can't hear anything unless, unless a doorway opens. So sometimes our communication with life and with God and with faith Mm. is a bit like that. So, Mm -hmm. Not like God isn't there, but but it's hard to access. And I think a lot of people find that music bridges that gap or breaks ah, that. Yes, 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 yes. So the music is, and, and most of my music tries to to sit on the edge between those who have faith and those who don't, between church and world, mm. even in those spaces where we also question things and, mm. it, and to give space for those questions, which sometimes we think are going to take us away from certitude and faith but actually might help us get deeper Mm. so most songs are born of some kind of either an experience of faith or an experience of questioning or or listening to people who are questioning and wanting to try and frame that and bridge them into something deeper yeah i would imagine that the lyrical content really revolves around that um but being a musician right it's not just you're writing some lyrics there's a musical component uh, an instrumentation Mm -hmm. component how, how do you feel like you captured that theme in the music as well? What, were, the, were there different types of musical instrument, um, instrumentation themes that you were trying to play with that kind of captured that idea of, uh, of the liminal space and kind of the, the complexity great. of faith? Great question, Mason. And there's a mixture there, right? Mm. There's some 
Like one of them is called Lead Kindly Light and I wrote it in an hour. Bono says that there are songs you write and songs you find. I think it was <laughs> one I found. Now that was based on a poem by John Henry Newman, but I literally sat down at the keyboard and it just emerged nearly as it is. Another one came out of a, um, um, came out of a space, it's called Meanwhile, and it came after a really tough time in my life. And mm. I was kind of sitting around and the melody came, no words, the melody came and it was sort of like a bluesy, and I don't do a lot of blues, but it was sort mm. of like bluesy. And so I had a whole melody and a whole kind of a rhythm without, without knowing what the words were. And it was afterwards, I kind of looked for words that made sense and that spoke about spring and 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 the rain going and, and a bit of song of songs kind of now, yep. now you can imagine now you can lift your head. Um, the one that I mentioned, break the crystal frame, that was kind of an experience of coming back to myself. And so that gets quite upbeat. That goes quite rocky mm. um, because, because it's kind of trying to break through the frame. It's kind of, right. um, and there's another one, which is really, really still. And that's because it's, it's, it was kind of a really deep experience of kind of silence and, and prayer. And I'm just trying to not touch that. I'm just trying to, so it's yep, very just, little, little bit of cello, a yep. little bit of piano, very soft though, practically no beat, just implicit. So, so it's sort of di different experiences. I go in, I go in different directions to try and hold that space. Yeah. Mm, I like that a lot. Um, so once you, once you heard that album completed, mixed, mastered, ready for the hot takeoff, what was your response to it? How, how had that music changed now that you are on the receiving end of listening to a completed piece of work? Gosh, that's a, that's a great question. That's a great question. I, I'd have to break it into two, okay? Because okay? for me, there's the making of a piece of music, right? with the individual, right? Mm -hmm. and, and for me, that's like a quest. And sometimes it starts, every now and again, it starts with more, it's with more and more now with me, it starts with music, mm -hmm. uh, just trying to open a space and then I'll kind of try and find some words. And usually the first part, nearly till I have at least a kind of draft complete, it, I don't show it to anyone. Cause it's kind of like, if I open it, it changes. Yep. <laughs> so I need to kind of, and then I will, and this would only be with people I trust. I will kind of open it to musicians and people I trust that I know will kind of walk carefully and listen and maybe bring something because I trust them, their, their sense of music, but it's not like everyone and anyone, oh, I'll do this, I'll do that. Because again, it's still kind of being created. Mm -hmm. um, and then I move to producing and, I, and I'll kind of partner with someone who will try and make some music. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit the same process. I try and I try and give them space to bring what they bring because some producers are just brilliant and, and they can hear things and do things that you can't. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I try and hold on to what it feels so that if something new is coming in, I need to test it. Like I need to, does that sit right with when I'm going to sing this, when I'm like, does that work? Mm -hmm. And often there's a surprise there. Often there's a, oh my goodness, I wouldn't have done that. Isn't that beautiful? Or there's a, that's a great idea, but guess what? Just no, I just couldn't, I just can't. <laughs> I just couldn't do that. Yeah. Yep. And, then, and then when it's finished, uh, because I'm quite perfectionist. So I work a lot and I go to detail. If there's something that's bothering me, I won't leave it there because, because mm. then I have to listen to it. And I'm always going to be listening to that and thinking that shouldn't be there, you know, or we should have done that. So I am quite perfectionist. And then when I have it, I kind of, it's, that's when I'm ready to share it. That's when I'm kind of, okay, I really hope this touches something for someone and it'll mm. probably do something different than it does for me. So then I kind of feel ready to open it and to give it and to perform it and to let that space become something different with a, with a, 
with a performance space or 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 the CD or whatever. Um, so then it's like a gift that I have and that I can give, but it but it follows that process. Mm-hmm. You're also a theologian. How do you see your creative process of making music in the creative process of doing theology similar and different? Oh, that's a brilliant question. They are similar and different, okay? Similar in the sense that for me, music, and I think for many people, and I think theology needs needs to grapple with this and is only beginning to grapple with this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, music is a way people make sense of things. So from a Christian theology uh, theologian's perspective, the word is someone. The word isn't words. The word isn't an idea. The word isn't a doctrine. It's mm-hmm. not even the Bible. It is someone mm-hmm. who we discover through different means. So music is one symbolic form and words are symbols in which the word becomes present. And a lot of people find more meaning or, or initially it's easier to make sense of life through music than through words. So we need to work with that. So I think, personally, I think music gives us an access space, potentially, not all music, but can give us an access point to God's presence in a way that words don't, because they work differently. Mm-hmm. Words differentiate, words explain, they clarify, they define, that's what they're meant to do, and we need them. But we need more than them, because the word is more than words, and we're not, it's not only about definition. So I think it's, a, it's a, an important space. I think nowadays, theology needs to begin to use more. It can't let go of words. Amen. It preach it. Preach it. Architecture, music, uh, visual, it needs to movement because we make sense of things in different ways and words don't say in the same way that they used to. So theology, there are a whole strand of theological aesthetics, theopoetics, uh, the arts that are working with this and they're trying to grapple with it. And there's, there's, a, there's a growth space, you know, we can't, it's not either or, we need both. But I would say it's pretty urgent that we start to, to bring music in full center. And we've written a lot about this uh, as well as music and I try and hold the space of so so I have a talk this evening, which is about women and church and leadership. And I'm giving a talk. And in the middle, I have a song, which is based on John 4, which unpacks women in scripture in a different way. And then I'll come back and I'll explain it. And I think it is much more effective than just words. That is a sermon right there. All the listeners don't even have to go to church this week. Uh, they just they got their, da- their weekly dose of a sermon right there. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, you, you mentioned that you've got some future projects on the horizon. Uh, let 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 us hear about it. I want to hear what okay. uh, what what you're working on. I'm so I'm excited about this. So I'm working on my second book. Um, the first one was a little bit what I said, much more. It was an academic one that kind of grounds why music can be what I said, why it how it helps us access faith. But the second one is is going to be. Uh, it's a book. It's kind of like a um, an apologetics, a theology for agnostics and unbelievers, for questioners, for mm-hmm. opening a space. Um, and and it'll do two things. One. It will value the questions we have. We think questions are a problem. Actually, there are hooks to deeper knowledge. There are hooks to further mm-hmm. truth. We need to listen to our questions. And the best theologians of the tradition, Christian tradition are, are women and men who have taken their questions seriously and pulled the threads of those questions. Mm-hmm. So I'm presenting a bunch of theologians by identifying a question. And for each theologian, I have written a song that tries to capture and open a space around mm. what they're grappling with. So the book is a book and a CD by which you can enter either or, but it's an attempt to explore a question and a space of faith through music and words. You and I, once that comes out, you and I need to do a full length interview on okay. that. That's okay. exactly that what needs to happen, I think. Okay, sounds good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Maeve. This has been really wonderful, even just this little quick interview. 
Um, I, I'm always completely 100% in support of people who create space for music to be a, a space for theological reflection. That's the kind of work I, I really care about, and I'm all for people that are able to do that. And uh, I really, have, just even the little bit of music that I've heard from you is absolutely wonderful and amazing. And uh, yeah, I'm so excited that listeners have been able to listen to this episode and hear your music and even hear some of uh, the inspiration and some of the theology and all of that that's behind your music. So thank you so much. You're most welcome, Mason. Thank you for the conversation. It's great. Day is over, but the light still remains. kind of mentioned that music places you or enters you into a space of exploration do you sense that theologically you are similar where theologically uh or the theology itself enters you into a space to to read and be influenced by all sorts of voices um from the whole gamete that there is in theology yeah, definitely. I think, you know, just like music, no no one singer or artist ever has the last word because someone will come along and do a cover of their work or, you know, take their work off in different directions. So you, you don't have any control over the music you release once you've released it. And in the same way, you know, people writing theology, they, they put it out there in the world. They don't know how it's going to be used or how what, what different people will draw from it. So I think there's so much out there. and I don't read nearly as much as I would like to because, you know, teaching is, is pretty big as a, like a commitment, I guess. But, right. yeah, theologically, I think it, it's, there's so much that you can investigate, draw from. And so like, I, I wouldn't want to be pinned into one tradition of just drawing from one school of thought. Obviously, teaching religious studies, I teach what the world religions as well and it's it's great really to get to critically engage with world religions and see how different belief systems have different ways of describing the spiritual encounters that people have within the traditions and within christian theology i think there's so much to be gained from being in dialogue and being i guess ecumenical in the sense of sharing what each tradition has throughout the whole Christian church around the world in its many various different diverse forms. And so I think the world is, is really open. And I, I guess another example of the whole change of context thing, when I moved from the UK to Australia, I went to the Australian Catholic Theological Association conference and people are saying, oh, have you heard of this theologian, that theologian? And I had barely heard of any of them coming mm. out of the UK context. And, it, and you think, you know, it's, it's a very similar country, a very similar context, and yet there was very little engagement. And I think, you know, as the, the world becomes more globalized, as people can travel and communicate more freely with technology, the world obviously, I guess, feels a bit smaller and people can share thought a bit easier. 
But I think it's important that, that we don't just restrict ourselves to our own cultural context or religious, spiritual tradition. And that we take, we take inspiration and we find meaning wherever we can around the world or around the different traditions. What you're just talking about may kind of allude to the next question, but are you familiar with Bonhoeffer and his work? I'm no expert. I'm vaguely familiar. <laughs> so, uh, so Bonhoeffer, in his letters and papers in prison, talks about this idea a little bit. I mean, it's not like the, the whole point of <laughs> letters and papers from prison, but uh, he talks a little bit about this idea of religionless Christianity, which uh, have you read a little bit about maybe what that is? Or Yeah, I have read a little bit about it. So what, with what you know about it, how do you see the, your work of placing music in dialogue with theology relating to Bonhoeffer's religionless Christianity? I think music really breaks open the, the boundaries of institutions. And, mm. you know, you can't contain music within one box or one tradition or you can't put a stamp on it and say oh this is my thought because once it's released in the world then it's in the world and people can draw from it I guess with things like hymns liturgical songs worship music they easily go across traditions and across different places and times and so I think music is one way that that we can break open the institution a little bit and not have such a, a rigorous, defined form of Christianity. I wonder whether there's a kind of implied criticism of, of the institutionalized in the sense that it becomes constrictive and, and that it then doesn't allow renewal and development and growth. And I think a little bit, we churches do get stuck in that sort of, this is what we think, this is what we've always thought even though it probably isn't, you know, it definitely isn't what they always thought. But <laughs> I think music is, is one way that we can reevaluate what we, what we think and what we say. And I think even when you look at the, the words of hymns from the past, you might read them and go, oh, I would never say something like that today. You know, we cut verses out everywhere all over the place because they're not politically correct anymore or, or whatever the case may be. I guess that, that's more bound up in the words. But for the music, I think it, it becomes more a process of taking what we have as physical, embodied human beings and putting it in a, in a greater space that, that cannot be confined by specific traditions. Really, all humans are united by their humanity. We, we want to be united more and be in communion through who we are as humans rather than through, you know, which, which tradition is on your baptism certificate or which, you know, which place of work do you go to, those sorts of things. So I think it can, it can lead to more ecumenical focus of churches and, and a more deinstitutionalized, dare I say, way of thinking about religious traditions. Last question, how can listeners get connected with you and your work? Awesome. I have a website, which is www.daniellandlynch.com. I'm on Twitter at DALynch146. So there are two ways that you can connect with me. Or I also have a YouTube page where I've done a few one-hit wonder recordings of a couple of my <laughs> songs. 
Um, no, no great uh, recording yet, but I live in hope. Um, <laughs> so there, there's the website and the YouTube to go to. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much. I, as a music lover myself, I really appreciated reading your book. And um, yeah, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing in the world. Thank you, Mason. And thanks for your great questions. There's a time for waiting and I believe There's a time for loving and I believe There's a time for hoping and I believe in you The light in my darkness You're the voice of my silence And I believe If that episode left you hanging and you're wanting more from both Danielle and Maeve, you can find links to connect to them and their work in the episode description. Again, you can also connect to me through my website, masonmenega.com. There you can find more of my work, including some articles and papers I write, other religionless church episodes, and ways to connect with me via social media. Also, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, If Religionless Church matters to you, support by giving a rating and review and by becoming a patron of my Patreon page. Thank you for listening to Religionless Church. I send you out with this. May the divine bless you with doubt and keep you disrupted. May the divine make the divine's face of infinitude shine upon you and show you graciousness to your own finitude. May the divine lift up the divine's countenance of justice upon you and give you whole unsatisfaction, now and forever. So be it. Light in my darkness, you're the voice of my silence, and I believe in you. Somewhere inside each human heart, there is the seed of your life. I want to be the ground that nurtures And somewhere deep inside the emptiness and pain of life There is a hope that can't be broken For you I live, for them I give For you I speak, for them I believe And there's a time Waiting and I believe There's a time For loving and I believe in you There's a time For hoping and I believe in you The light in my darkness You're the voice of my silence And I believe